Hello again, and welcome into another episode of The Lion's Edge by BetMGM. I'm your host, Chase Kitty. Very exciting week of content for you. Week 9 college football, week 8 NFL. If you're locked into the podcast, if you're subscribed, which of course you should be, then you know we already put out an episode this week. Thanks again to Jeff Perlman, New York Times bestselling author, for joining the show, talking about his new book, The Last Folk Hero, The Life and Myth of Bo Jackson. I uh, hope you guys enjoyed that content. I know it's something a little different, but uh, I try to try to shake it up, do something like that every now and then. Of course, today, we're getting back to betting. No Wednesday night games this week, which means we are looking straight ahead to this week's action, trying to get you guys some actionable intel on which games to look at, which games to bet this weekend. So obviously, we'll get that out in a second. But first, just a couple of minutes of, of, of ruminating on this year's college football playoff. The first set of rankings will be out next week. We'll see the the committee's initial top 25. We'll see who has pole position on the playoff, uh, how certain outcomes like Tennessee's win over Alabama have been received by the committee and sort of what challenges each individual teams have to look at. And I've been thinking about this a lot over the weekend and through the first half of this week. The conclusion I came to which I kind of just want to talk through aloud here for a minute, maybe give you something to think about as well. Are we sure this Alabama team is a playoff team? Are we sure? Open question. I'm not saying they're not. I'm just wondering aloud. Nick Saban's Alabama team, since the college football playoff system was implemented in 2014, they've made seven of the eight playoffs. So you can certainly go broke very easily betting against the Crimson Tide. But I'm looking at what they've done. I'm looking at the fact that they're already a one-loss team with a month to go. Looking at the games they still have to play. I'm looking at their resume so far. And I'm looking at the other contenders. And I'm not so sure that this is a definite playoff team. Let's start with the landscape. Let's start with who's out there. Georgia, we feel like, at least for now, is kind of written in as a playoff contender. They could always lose to Tennessee. That would get pretty interesting pretty fast uh, because then they would no longer have uh, inside positioning in the SEC East. They would need a minor miracle to get into the playoff without playing in the SEC championship game. So something weird could could always happen there. But we're assuming one of the playoff spots will belong to either Georgia or Tennessee. Somebody's going to come out of the SEC East and own a playoff spot. That's one. Ohio State from the Big Ten, they're probably going to be two, right? And maybe Michigan beats Ohio State again. I kind of doubt it. But one of those two teams is going to probably win the Big Ten championship and go to the playoff. So there's two. Two spots left. Who do they go to? Well, Clemson has already played the meat of its ACC schedule. They've already beaten NC State. They've already beaten Wake Forest. They've already beaten Florida State. They've already beaten Syracuse. The teams they have left are all at home. They're kind of irrelevant. Like they got to play Louisville at home, who's a 500 team this year. They got to play Miami at home, who just got blown out at home by Duke. So we have already seen Clemson come through the tough part of their schedule. You know, short of a surprise against Notre Dame or South Carolina, Clemson is probably going to be an undefeated ACC champion, and they're probably going to be in the playoff. It's not fair that teams get graded like this, but we know it's a fact. Their name is Clemson. 
They've won two national titles in recent years. They've been to six different playoffs in the last eight or nine years. They're going to get the benefit of the doubt, even if the ACC is weak. People, you know, I've seen people ask in the last week or two, hey, if you put, if you dropped Clemson into the Big Ten East, you dropped Clemson into the SEC West, do you really think they would win those divisions? That doesn't really matter. I mean, at least not how the system works right now. I think it's a thought-provoking question. I wish it mattered more, but I'm not sure that it does. Clemson's going to be undefeated and win the ACC, and they're going to be the third playoff team. So now we have one playoff spot left. I think the Pac-12 has probably eliminated itself. TCU's looking awfully good as an undefeated Big 12 team. Alabama's sitting there in the SEC West with one loss. So is LSU. So is Ole Miss. Both of those teams get to host Alabama in the next two or three weeks. Alabama could trip up against Auburn. We've seen very average Auburn teams beat Alabama or come extremely close to beating Alabama as recently as last year. And then there's the SEC title game where Alabama will have to play a national title game rematch against Georgia or a rematch against Tennessee from this year's regular season. A loss in any of those games likely knocks Alabama from the playoff. So as I said, you can go very broke, very fast betting against Alabama. But I think at this point, it's worth asking the question, are we sure this Alabama team is is definitely a playoff team? Because the conversations right now are, well, we know Georgia, Alabama, and Ohio State are playoff teams. So who's number four? It was even an, an article that was pitched to me by, by a member of our staff here internally is who's number four. Are we sure about the top three? When you look at Alabama's resume, start with the games that nobody cares about. They beat Utah State 55-0. They beat UL Monroe 63-7. They beat Vanderbilt 55-3. Okay, I think most playoff contenders could probably burnish similar results. They barely beat Texas in September with a backup quarterback. Texas was playing their backup quarterback. When Ewers gets hurt in the first half, Alabama wins by one. They beat Arkansas 49-26. Nice win, but Arkansas is about a 500 team in the SEC. That's just sort of a a nice conference win. Akin to maybe TCU beating a Baylor or a Kansas State, something like that. It's certainly not, you know, anything that you're going to go nuts about. Alabama barely beats a Texas A&M team at home that comes down to the last play of the game. They win 24-20. We pretty much know at this point this A&M team isn't very good. They have massive offensive problems. They lost to South Carolina. They lost to App State. App State loss looks even worse now than it did then. They lost outright to Tennessee. I think that the 30-6 win over Mississippi State from this past weekend is probably their best result of the entire year. So I think when you look at what they've already done, it's not as impressive as people think. And I think you, when you look at what's to come, it is not a lock that this team is 11-2 and or 12-1 and at the end of the year. SEC favorite, SEC winner, SEC runner-up, sitting there in definite playoff position. This is not a lock. Uh, and and I, I, don't, I don't know that I've seen anybody say it that directly. That, that, I mean, I'm not saying they're bad. But I think we need to stop talking about them like they're this obvious playoff commodity when they still have a lot of things to prove, just like some of the other teams in the playoff picture. And with that, let's get to this week's bets. 
Well, it feels like every year there's one weekend where I just load up on garbage. Just absolutely horrific games that we want nothing to do with. We don't want to watch. The dogs are ugly. It's bad football, but just the schedule aligns and the numbers are blown out by the time you're two months into the season so that some of the most valuable teams are also some of the ugliest and worst to root for. And so with that, I present to you the Week 9 college football card that I am considering. Six official plays, almost all of which are just horrifyingly bad teams. And you're going to hear this and think, you cannot possibly expect me to back those teams. And I'm going to say to you, I've backed some pretty good teams the last two weeks, and the picks have have not been great. The last two weeks are, are losing weeks and losing propositions for us. So we're going to get back in the winner's circle this week. But to do it, some of these teams are going to be rough. Uh, I'm just letting you know. I, I put in a lot of extra time this week really scraping through some of these handicaps and finding valuable sides. So we're going to place the bets and we're going to not watch the games and we'll count the money after the weekend's over. But yeah, I'm just letting you know in advance. I know these teams are awful. I know these sides are unpleasant, but that is partially by design. Let's start with maybe the the best of the bunch, Sunbelt football. Coastal Carolina heads to Huntington, West Virginia, for a game with Marshall, the shots are off the bye. Coastal Carolina was a team in need of a bye. They needed to do a little bit of soul searching. They needed to figure out how they could cover up some of their errors, uh, how they can stop playing one possession games with two minutes to go and constantly need Grayson McCall to rescue them against inferior competition. But frankly, Coastal Carolina coming off of the bye is not the reason I like this spot. I like this as a sell high against Marshall, a team that, as I have pointed out, has not won an FBS game since week two until they went to Harrisonburg this past weekend, where I was, and they beat JMU. And now the market all of a sudden kind of likes Marshall. They're a short home favorite. They're taking a little bit of money. Marshall's back. Marshall's got their problems fixed. They don't have their problems fixed at all. Okay? They still have massive problems on offense. They still can't move the ball effectively or consistently, but they beat JMU because JMU was basically playing an FCS two deep out there. I mean, Todd Santeo's a late scratch. Billy Atkins comes in to play quarterback for JMU. He hadn't practiced as the you know quarterback that was going to go on Saturday all week. He looks completely ineffective. The starting left tackle for JMU is out. Starting left guard for JMU is out. Running backs are hurt. Receivers are getting hurt. The secondary's got backups in that are true freshmen and and redshirt freshmen, true sophomore. I mean, it was a mess in Harrisonburg. And, you know, Marshall looked good, but it's partially because they were playing against such poor competition, you know, by the time we got to the second half in that game. So I am leveraging a little bit of specialized information I have in the market here with what's going on with JMU and how I know that that information means that Marshall is a little overvalued here. They're they're maybe getting just a tiny bit too much credit in the market for winning that game. I think Coastal Carolina is the better roster. I think for sure they have the better quarterback and the better offense. And it's that two and a half number that I always talk about. You know, more often than not, nothing is 100% bulletproof all the time, but more often than not, when you see that two and a half, 
they're kind of hanging you a little bait number saying, hey, why don't you take Marshall at home? All they've got to do is win by three, which is a key number. Should be easy, right? Very baitish. So we're going to take Coastal Carolina here plus the two and a half. I'd also recommend Coastal Carolina sprinkle on the money line at plus 110. Team number two, UCLA, minus 16 and a half against Stanford. Little bit of a sell high here after Stanford gets a win against Arizona State on Saturday. UCLA, also a little bit of a buy low after they suffer their first loss at Oregon. But frankly, these two teams are nowhere near each other. UCLA is a far better team playing at home, laying 16 and a half points. I will take that any day of the week. This is, I don't want to say it's square, but it's its maybe more traditional than some of the other bets we're going to get to. It's also Saturday night, so who knows, anything crazy could happen. But I suspect that UCLA wins convincingly here. If you look at the teams that both of these schools have played over the last few weeks, UCLA has just been dealing, right? They go to Oregon, they play Utah. They play Washington. They played Colorado before that, which was a blowout. Come back to that in a second. But before that, they played South Alabama in that game against the Jaguars where they won by one at the very end at the gun with the field goal kick. So they have played four of their last five opponents, really, really good teams, tight, competitive. This Stanford game is going to be a slam spot for them, I have a feeling. And Stanford's kind of the opposite. So I like... UCLA after the loss here buying a little bit low this is the worst team they will have played in several weeks and they're going to be smarting after a loss I think they come out here and they make a statement about how good they are about how they're still relevant in the Pac-12 South and I think they win going away here against a Stanford team that they're just far better than kind of on that note one other game in this mold this is where we're going to start to find some ugly games Wyoming at Hawaii this is an 11.59 p.m. Eastern kickoff. So right away, we are not watching this game, especially if you're over here on the East Coast with me. Just not staying up to watch this garbage. But kind of like a more extreme example of, of what I was just talking about with UCLA and Stanford, Wyoming has played some of the toughest teams in the Mountain West recently. Got off a two-touchdown win over Utah State. Not the greatest team in the world. Last year's champ, but they haven't been the same this year. But you know, they, they played San Jose State earlier this month. They played against BYU at the end of September. They played Air Force. Hawaii has just been playing the absolute dregs of the Mountain West. Just lost to Colorado State last weekend, who is awful. They played Nevada. They played a San Diego State team that's pretty down. They lost by 19 to New Mexico State. They played Duquesne. And they're 2-6 and six against this schedule. They, it's not like they even have a good inflated record against these bad teams. Hawaii is really bad. They are rebuilding from a crazy offseason that you probably read about last spring, last summer. Lots of transfers out. They get rid of Todd Graham. It's just a total mess there. And when you look at their recent results, it looks like they've been kind of competitive. They have a two-point loss to San Diego State. They have a four-point loss to Colorado State. But you got to remember, these teams are really bad. And now they're going to play Wyoming, who's had transfer problems of their own, but they have succeeded this season in spite of them. I'm not even really sure how, to be honest with you. I mean, Wyoming has been pretty decent. They're 5-3. and three. I am willing to lay a big number on the road against Hawaii because 
this is the best team Hawaii will have played in like a month and a half, really since they played Michigan. I think this is going to be absolutely non-competitive. I think the market has forgotten how bad Hawaii is because they've been playing these other bad teams. And I expect a huge win from Wyoming in this spot. I think they cover the 11.5 easily. I think if this is 13.5 or 14, by the time you listen to the podcast, by the time Friday or Saturday rolls around and you're looking to make a couple extra bets, you hear me talking about this. If it's, it's a, if it's a bigger number, if you're having to lay two full touchdowns, I'd still think about doing it because I think this is going to be a bloodbath. Let's get to the really ugly ones. Missouri, South Carolina. South Carolina has had a nice little run here over the last month. Starting on September 24th, Shane Beamer and the Gamecocks, they lose to Georgia 48-7 on September 17th. Nobody blames them for that one. But starting after that game, they beat the crap out of Charlotte. They win 56-20. They beat South Carolina State in an FCS game 50-10. They beat Kentucky because Will Levis is out 24-14. That game was in Lexington. And then this past week, off the bye, they beat Texas A&M, which is a quick sidebar here on A&M. We've got to stop giving teams credit for beating A&M. We know they're not good this year. We know that. That's a known fact. They're not good this year. The personnel doesn't match the systems that they're trying to run. So the fact that South Carolina, in this little four-game winning streak, beats you know a ranked team that didn't have their quarterback, a team that's known to have great recruits but is also not a good team... <laughs> an FCS school, and a Charlotte team that just fired their coach last week. I don't know how much credit they should really get for that run, and yet the Gamecocks pop into the top 25 in the latest AP poll, and they're now four-point favorites against Missouri. Now, strangely, you could make the case that Missouri at three and four might be the best team, all things considered, that South Carolina has played since they played Georgia in the middle of September, and that perhaps is why pro bettors are jumping all over the Missouri side of this. I think it actually opened closer to five, five and a half. It's come down to four, which is where you need to get it because now we're getting into key number territory. Pros are all over this game. They love Missouri. It's a sell high on South Carolina because the hype doesn't match the resume at this point. About 60% of market-wide tickets on South Carolina somewhere between 80 and 90% of the market-wide handle on Missouri. So clear pros versus Joe's game. So Missouri, it might not make a lot of sense. It might look weird to take a 3-4 and four team plus a relatively small number of points on the road against a 5-2 and two South Carolina team. But I think the records don't really match the resumes. And remember, the pros love this, so we're going to love it too. Missouri plus the 4 on the card. Another really ugly one, Temple Navy. Bear with me. (laughs) It's going to get worse. Temple is catching 13.5 points against Navy. I was a big proponent of Navy a few weeks ago. We won that game. We've won a couple of Navy bets this year. But it's, it's a big difference when you have Navy plus some points versus Navy laying almost two touchdowns. Navy's Navy's been competitive and really good in some spots this year. They're still a two-win team. Both these teams are two and five, and one of them is laying 13 and a half points. Yes, Temple is ugly, but we're actually getting some extra value here 
because Temple got blitzed by UCF a couple of weeks ago on that Thursday or Friday night, whenever that game was, where UCF dropped 70 on them. That's the sort of thing that stays in betters' minds and keeps them away from something, which also is something that can, can buy you know, relation, create extra value on a side. So about 65% of the tickets here on Navy, unsurprisingly, lay in the points. The majority of the handle is on Temple because pros are willing to bet the number and not the team. That's what we're going to do here as well, is we're going to back Temple plus the 13.5. And, and I mean, Navy has only been a favorite one time this year. They're 0-1 against the spread as a favorite. Uh, Temple plus the points. They have been more effective, 2-3. and three. And uh, when you look at the recent history, uh, you know, so not just the whole season but the last few weeks, that's where Temple's been good. Plus the 13.5 against Tulsa last week. They didn't win the game, but they did cover the number. Versus Rutgers, same deal. They caught 18.5, so we're also kind of in this rage again. They lost by two. Navy is a great dog, but I don't want to lay 13.5 with them, so I'll be on Temple here. And then finally, last bet, bet number six. I apologize in advance. Iowa Northwestern. Fun little number that I caught here, uh, which, which sort of planted the seed on why I should bet this game. I don't talk a lot about other sports books on this podcast because I work for BetMGM and I'd, I'd like you to bet with MGM. It helps support the show. It helps support my employer who makes it possible for me to do this show for you guys. So I always want you to bet with BetMGM. That's why I usually only talk about BetMGM. That said, sometimes paying attention to other sports books can give you an idea on how to bet a game. And I caught this Circa, very sharp book for professionals in Las Vegas. Circa opened the total for Iowa Northwestern at 31.5, which is basically the lowest total that anyone's ever seen in the history of betting college football. So naturally, pros steamed that up right away. They took the over because that's the only thing you can do with a number that low. You have to bet the over. You go on record saying, I'm going to guess that of all the ways that this game could play out, it will not end up cashing an under for the lowest number ever in the history of the universe, right? So they steam that number up from 31.5 to 37.5, which is where it is now, not just at Circa, but everywhere, market-wide, because that's how numbers work. You know, eventually you get to the middle point of the week and all the all the markets kind of even themselves out. Here's the thing, though. there's It's not an accident that Circa set that number so low. And, and this is kind of the whole thought process behind counter bets about you know betting against line movement it creates extra value circa's not dumb like they knew what they were doing when they hung a 31 and a half it's not like they didn't understand the context of that decision so the fact that they were willing to hang a number that low in the first place and obviously take over action on it a ridiculous clip kind of makes me want to look at the under in the first place now you've created six extra points of line movement six extra points of value for me to bet the under on a counterplay. And let's just, just for shits and giggles, right? Let's look back at the Iowa Northwestern scores of the last few years, just just so we have a baseline understanding of what some of these scores look like. 17 to 12 in 2021. 21 to 20, two years ago. 20 to zero, three years ago. 14 to 10, four years ago. 17 to 10, five years ago, four of the last five years, the score would have cashed an under for 31 and a half. So now you're giving me 37 and a half and you're giving me the most impotent Iowa offense that we've seen maybe in our lifetimes. 
I'm betting the under on 37.5 Iowa Northwestern. I think you should too. And I think sneaky, this could be the best play of the six. Just because of the fundamentals and the history and the extra value and everything. Give me the under on 37.5 for Iowa Northwestern. Let's look at a couple of leans before we get out of here. Georgia State is a three and a half point favorite against Old Dominion. First of all, crazy that you would have to lay three plus the hook with a two and five win team or, or whatever Georgia State's record is. But I, I think it's a comment about Old Dominion, who was technically in first place in the Sun Belt East a week ago. That's how little the sports books think of Old Dominion. And unsurprisingly, uh, there's a majority of tickets here on Old Dominion plus the points, but a majority of the handle is backing Georgia State. If you want to get involved in this game, I would be betting on Georgia State. Notre Dame-Syracuse is super fishy. It's so fishy it almost made the six, but I just can't bet on Notre Dame anymore this year. The fact that Syracuse would only be a three-point home favorite against this awful Notre Dame team when Syracuse was undefeated a week ago is extremely sketchy. Again, not surprising that a majority of the tickets are on Syracuse here, but a majority of the handle is on Notre Dame, and it's actually moved the number from Notre Dame plus three to Notre Dame plus two and a half. If you want to get involved, I would buy back the three and then bet Notre Dame. TCU at West Virginia this week. TCU is a seven-point road favorite in Morgantown. This is not going to be like Baylor a couple of weeks ago when I told you, hey, Morgantown's a tough place to play. I think Max Duggan in this offense, I think West Virginia's secondary is really going to struggle to stop what they do on offense. I don't think seven points is enough. I would bet TCU minus the seven here. And uh, based on how the Texas Tech game went last week, I would actually start to, to look at maybe some TCU alts, maybe see what you can get for like TCU minus minus 11, and maybe sell some points and uh, get some good value that way. Because I, I think much like the Texas Tech game last week, this one might be a blowout in the favor of TCU and not in the favor of my uh, beloved Mountaineers there. Ole Miss A&M, it's another really weird line. It's another two and a half. Uh, I, I would look at A&M plus the points here. I don't really know how it would work. I don't know what A&M's path to winning is. I don't know the football argument for this. I'm just reading the number and telling you A&M looks like the right side, and I think some of the money says that too. Kansas State, Oklahoma State, if I had more definitive information about Adrian Martinez's health, this would have been a play for me. This was this would have been an official play. I like Kansas State here, minus the one, minus the one and a half, whatever your number is uh, when you're listening to this. The problem is, if I get Kansas State's third-string quarterback instead of Adrian Martinez, now all of a sudden I'm laying points with a third-string quarterback against a really good Oklahoma State team. No thank you. But if you get to later in the week and you find out, hey, Adrian Martinez, it's not just that he's going to play, but he's genuinely like good to go. He's healthy, or at least as healthy as can be expected, and, and we expect no real drop-off in play from him, then I would be looking at Kansas State in this spot. Minnesota minus 14 versus Rutgers. I don't really want to lay this many points with Minnesota after they've lost three straight games, but you got to buy low at some point. Uh, I'm willing to bet on a dead cat bounce with P.J. Fleck, and Rutgers is the worst team they've played in a month or more. So yeah, I, I would uh, it would be Minnesota or pass for me. UConn plus 7.5, I would think about. This is a true lean. Like this is, I mean, this is like borderline chasing behavior at this point. But I just think on principle, you can't lay seven in the hook with Boston College on the road. And UConn's been a good cover team as a dog. I just worry about the market being outpriced for UConn. Like a couple weeks ago, you were getting 24 points if you wanted to bet with UConn, which is why they were so good at covering. 
now a lot of people have caught on. Even public betters are kind of starting to see it, and it, it's kind of a cute story like, hey, UConn's a good bet again. Isn't this fun? So the number ha- has started to shrink, uh, but it would be UConn plus the points or pass for me. And another good one that I really like, I just haven't seen a number yet, Houston team total over against South Florida this week. Last three times that Houston's played South Florida, they've scored 54, 56, and 57 points. So if you want to get involved in that game, more so than betting the total, more so than trying to you know hang on for dear life and bet the bucket load of points with South Florida or trying to cover a big number like a square with Houston, I would just look at the team total over because the last few times Dana Holgerson's lined up against South Florida, they've scored a mountain of points. And based on how South Florida's defense has played this year, I don't really see much reason to think anything different is going to happen this year either. There you go. College football week nine. There is your handicapping walkthrough one more time. The six games I am playing this week for sure. Your official plays. Coastal Carolina plus two and a half at Marshall with a sprinkle on the plus 110 money line. UCLA minus 16 and a half at home against Stanford. Wyoming minus 11 and a half at Hawaii. Missouri plus four at South Carolina. That's the Columbia Bowl. Temple plus 13 and a half at Navy. And Iowa Northwestern in a hold your nose special under 37 and a half. Those are your six plays plus a few leans for you as well. Of course, come back here tomorrow on Thursday for your NFL Week 8 Handicapping Podcast Guide. We'll start with a little bit of Thursday night football. I've got a couple of plays for you including a play that I did not mention today that I'm saving for tomorrow. I want to talk about Southern Miss versus Louisiana in addition to Thursday night football Ravens-Bucks. All the stuff you need to know about those two games on Thursday plus the other NFL bets and leans I have for this weekend, week eight of the NFL season. Thanks for listening to the Lion's Edge. If you like the content this week, if you like any of the bets... If you enjoyed our conversation with Jeff Perlman earlier in the week, would really appreciate it if you take just two minutes of your time, leave the podcast a rating, leave a review, say something nice, say something quick about the podcast. Helps us grow the show and reach more people, which is what I'm all about here at the podcast. Thanks for tuning in. We'll be back tomorrow. Until then, take it easy.